Learn Persian with Chai and Conversation, Growing Up Iruni Interview with Moj Mahdara. Salam Behamigi, this is Leila Shams, creator of Learn Persian with Chai and Conversation and host of the Growing Up Iruni interview series. So as many of you know, I recently gave birth to a daughter, little Effie. She was born on October 1st of this year, just a couple weeks after Masa Amini was killed in Iran and the Zan Zendegi Azadi movement began. So before that, I'd done a few interviews and they were ready to be published after my due date. But then after Masa Amini, none of them seemed really relevant or even appropriate to publish anymore. So all of this is to say that this interview with Moj, one of the co-founders of the Iranian Diaspora Collective, is the first one I've done since the birth of my daughter and the birth of this movement, really. Moj is an incredibly strong figure of the movement. They are an entrepreneur and CEO and currently a venture capitalist at two funds, We talked about their upbringing, connection to Iranian culture and the Persian language, and what led them to co-found this incredible organization, Iranian Diaspora Collective, a nonpartisan, multi-faith group that is inclusive of multiple backgrounds, genders, and LGBTQ plus identity, and includes leaders in business, tech, media, entertainment, fashion, beauty, and more. And that has been so active and effective at spreading the message of this movement and getting members of the diaspora involved. So with no further ado, here's my interview with Moj Mahdara. Yeah, Moj Mahdara, thank you so much for talking with me today. You are more than welcome. Um, I just wanted to start with the very beginning of where did you grow up and where were you born? I was born in Lexington, Kentucky. My parents had come here late 60s, early 70s, separately to get an education. My mom is super educated. Her parents were in favor of her coming to the United States to join her older brother and her sister to get an education. My dad was, an, uh, his whole family is a lineage lineage of chemical engineers uh, working with an oil. And um, they both got a scholarship recruiting into a feeder school into the University of T- uh, Kentucky, uh, where they had to do, I think it was like a year, I'm a little fuzzy on the exact details, but I think they had to do like a year of school in Louisville, Kentucky, which then got them essentially into the University of Kentucky, which is a school that over indexes in sciences and chemistry. And so I think they had... I think there was easy visas, housing, tuition, and I I believe also some, uh, they were given a job on campus. And so I think for them, um, this is back in the day when Iranians were, I don't want to say fetishized, but, you know, Persians, we were known as, you know, kind of the fancy Middle East people. We had a very progressive country that was moving towards Western modern modernization. Um, <clears throat> you had you know, Vogue photo shoots and Elizabeth Taylor. My dad's father was a pretty famous, well-known singer. Her name was Afat. Uh, she was a, a singer on TV, concert, recording artist. Uh, I always think of her as the Lana Del Rey of Iran. She had a pretty prolific place within the feminist movement in Iran. Wow. Uh, she was a single mom. Uh, she had two boys. And so my dad 
Uh, my dad is like really someone who embodied feminist values. So yeah, so I was born here in Lexington, Kentucky. We then went back to Iran because my parents were like, okay, we have our degrees, we're educated, and we're going to now go back to Iran to live and work. A pre-revolution, is that right? I think it was right as the revolution was potentially beginning. So it was like okay. around 78. Okay. And uh, we went back, I think it was just under a year. If you look at pictures of me as like a one-year-old, it's all in Iran. And then because my father's family worked with an oil, they had alarmed him that there was meetings happening at the refineries with non-corporate individuals that were there on behalf of the clerics. And there was many meetings and all of these meetings, from what I understand, would always end in a open discussion, unsettled. Um, and I think at some point my dad's father had warned to him, I think something very bad is about to happen. I think this natural resource, cause he worked at the fur private company at the time. I think okay. these natural resources are about to be reassigned to the government. Ah, wow. Okay. But they, they didn't intend to, they intended to go back to Iran and stay in Iran. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, they, why would they not? The Shah of Iran right. was modernizing. They had American degrees. They spoke English. That makes them, you know, highly employable, uh, makes them, right. you know, operative business people within the, you know, Iran at the time. You know, they weren't living in the Islamic Republic of Iran. They were living in Iran. So so then what happened? They were they were told by my dad's family to get out quickly. Okay, got it, got it. Yeah. And that was just at the revolution time. I think it was like sometime in 79, you okay. know? Like and then before when... it got really crazy. And where did they move to? Erie, Pennsylvania. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What brought them to Pennsylvania? Was there a big Iranian population there? No. Okay. Not at all. It's a chemical engineering hub. A company got there it. called uh, Union Carbide and Zern. And got it. My dad scored a job in his profession. I don't know. I think there was a pretty heavy Indian population there. So we kind of mixed in with South Asians. I heard that you said that inside the house was Iran and outside the house was America and your family. Is that right? Absolutely. <laughs> so how did you, how, what was your relationship with the uh, Iranian or Persian language? And We only spoke Persian inside the home. Okay. Uh, my grandmother spoke no English and my house, like many Iranian homes, was a constant camp zone of cousins, uncles, friends. Of, you know, everyone's a cousin and an uncle. In our right. Home, right. <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, everyone's somehow a khale, an amu, a da'i. Uh, and our house was always filled with people coming and going from Iran. Um, my grandmother spoke no English, so she was like really adamant. My parents. And this is your singer grandparent or grandmother? Yes, this is my, uh, no, this is my mom's mom. So I was really raised, like, both of my parents were working parents, and they didn't believe in nannies, and they didn't believe, I mean, first of all, they didn't even have yep. the money for these types of things. I didn't right. even know, like, what a nanny or a cleaning lady was until I was, like, maybe in my, like, late 20s, early 30s that I knew right. such a thing even existed. So my grandmother was, for all intents and purposes, our caretaker, <laughs> and my parents were working, and my grandmother raised us, and she nurtured us, and she man, she spent all of our time telling us stories of Iran and the history uh -huh. of Iran and the poetry of Iran and the people of Iran. And she really filled me, I think I'm the oldest of three girls, filled me with a deep sense of 
that I'm different. And I knew I was different because in school, people treated me different. So now you're talking about the early 80s. There's the hostage crisis. There's the remnants of the hostage crisis. Then it goes into the Iran-Iraq war. And you're the access of evil. And you're like the Ayatollah Khomeini. And you're like, you know, Magbar Amrika and all of these things. So, um, you know, it's like totally living in a time of aggressive Iranian-based violence bias. I feel like I think about my parents now and like what they went through. Um, mm-hmm. Sorry, it's so like emotional these days. Yeah. I, um, I think about the alienation. I think about the, um, you know, not seeing their parents for a decade plus, not yeah. being able to see their siblings. Uh, visas are on hold. Greens are cards are canceled, like all of these things. And so I don't think I grew up with a lot of empathy for my family. I think that they were, you know, I, if you were to ask me most of my life, I thought they were terrible parents, you know? Right. And according to American standards, they kind of were terrible parents, you know? Right. But according to Iranian standards, they did the best they could, you know? Yeah. And they were super alienated. They were extremely, extremely um, targeted. You know, I remember my dad, my parents are not very, they're not religious. I would say they're Iranian in the sense that like we celebrate New Year's, no ruse, some like Zoroastrian holidays, but like... I couldn't tell you a single Muslim holiday, you know, I think out of habit, we ate no pork and like, yeah, my grandmother would give my dad a lot of shade about drinking wine or beer, you know, dogs were not acceptable because they were like somehow haram and like, you know, like I felt like it was more cultural. So, so yeah, that's kind of what went on for me until I was about like 12, 13 as we lived in Erie, Pennsylvania. I thought I was Indian. I blended in with other Indians and South Asians. So you didn't have a big, like, Iranian population in None. school? Zero. Like, I don't think we I even saw a single Iranian in my wow. life until I was, like, almost 12, 13, outside of my immediate family. So that's such a contrast. Like, inside your house is this completely, like, Iranian oh, yeah. household, and then you, like, go out and you're, like, the image of Iran in your school must have been such a contrast with what you saw in the house. Like, you're saying, like, poetry, these my traditions... Parents- yeah, I mean, they didn't, uh, they did not uh, enforce me singing the national anthem. They did not enforce me doing a pledge of allegiance. They spoke to the school that I was not obligated to do so. Wow. I don't even know how to say those things. I've never <laughs> learned because I think at the time it's like, look, it's controversial. I remember like when the military shot like a civilian Iranian plane out of the sky. I think you were profoundly aware of the fact that you were hated, you know? Right. And, it's controversial because, like, my parents love America. They would never, I don't think, move back full-time to Iran. They very much celebrate the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence. Like, we had, you know, American flag in the house. Like, it's not like my family was definitely not anti-American. But we definitely felt like America was anti-us. Yeah, and think about back then, like, they didn't know that they were here forever, you know? Who knew anything that was going to happen? Nobody and I knew. think, like, right now we have more of a, um, like, more of an understanding of that. Like, you're saying, like, we just thought they were terrible parents, maybe. But now, like, looking back, like, the trauma of leaving your home, your language, everything, and not knowing when you're going to go back, it's it's mind-blowing to think about. I can't imagine. With <clears throat> kids. Like you're living through, like, your 
siblings calling you and saying like there's bombs going off uh, yeah people now have to wear a hijab and people now have to read the quran and like everything's I changing think yeah. all of that was a full-blown shock for my family so i think my re- parents realized like wow we're really getting like traumatized we're like getting damaged being out here on our own so like they we took a trip to uh california okay <laughs> and uh yeah, I think by then they were like, okay, we're like in this shit for the long haul. And word on the street is there's some like Iranian stores in Los Angeles and Orange County. There's some good schools over there. There's like okay. all these Iranians over there. And uh, we're going to move to California. And that's what happened. Okay. Well, we're so we're Texas Iranians and there's a bit of a population in Dallas. But I see Dallas or. Los Angeles Iranians is this totally other thing. Like, I always felt different because I thought Iranians are this part. I would see it on TV as these people who, like, wear makeup and they have their hair done and all this stuff. Like, how did you fit into that, like, stereotype of Iranians that were in Los Angeles? Like, did you feel like they were your people? No. Or how? Okay, yeah. What what was your experience at 13? I think my mom thought that was her people. Okay. I think my dad thought that was his people because they were like, you know, Mercedes Benz inspired and like Venetian gold inspired and, you know, like totally living into this like lifestyle of the Iranian Beverly Hills vibe. I don't know if it's that I'm just like a product of my grandmother or like what the deal is with me, but I have always been like my basis of influence has always been around art, music academic and thought leadership, poetry, arts, culture. I grew up obsessed with things like media and MTV. And I studied every record, every album. I could tell you everyone who produced it. I could tell you the artist behind the cover art. I was a voracious reader. I had aspirations of being a director, a music producer. I had, I didn't, I despise gauche displays of wealth. Uh, I thought, what would I, you know, I would love to have art. I would love to have, you know, Japanese modern architecture. I, on some level, I think I was more Iranian than my parents now mm-hmm. that I'm learning my culture. Wow. Interesting. Um, because I was like more of a old school Iranian in the sense that like I was more about the like artisanship, the craftsmanship, the, the historical creativity. I think that my parents were trying to assimilate I think they were trying to fit in. I think that older generation, I call them the uh, established, you know, exiled group. I think they went numb to a lot, a lot of parts of the culture. Mm. It's not a surprise to me that I'm seeing the diaspora look like me, sound like me. Like we're all very like, I would call us like, we're kind of modern, contemporary. We all seem to have like, yeah, there's like the a lot of these I don't know what they call it, like the house, like the Iranians of Beverly Hills, was it whatever that show is? Right, right. Shaz of Sunset, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I never, I mean, like everyone always be like, oh, like are you Iranian, like Shaz of Sunset. And I'm like, uh-huh. yeah, I never saw that show. No disrespect to those people, but that's just, right. that ain't me, you know? Right. Um, I'm more like obsessed with like, let's go to Japan and like uh-huh. Yayoi Kasuma and like collecting <laughs> vinyl and, um, yeah, so I think my parents tried to assimilate. I think capitalism is a way to assimilate. Mm. I think collecting of wealth and assets and like, look, you want to fit in. The best way to do that in this country is through capitalism. Wow, interesting. Yeah. You know? 
So then were they, did they develop an Iranian community and were you part of that too? Like what were your friends like? Okay, so you had totally separate friends. I have always stood out looking pretty gay and queer. (laughs) Okay. I have been wearing boys clothes since I remember. Maybe if I was younger, I probably made it, I, I just, I didn't identify as being a woman, you know? Right. Um, I, I, today I identify as being non-binary. So I also just like didn't fit in, in the sense that like, I didn't have feminine attributes physically. And I love what you'd said, you'd said in an interview that you felt like you being gay meant that you weren't Iranian to your parents. And I feel like that's what you just said right now of you being more Iranian. In a lot of ways, we do have a very gender neutral culture. It's yeah. very fluid. It's very so in a way, that's an example of you being more Iranian than your parents generation as well. I mean, my preferred per- pronouns are ooh and own. You know? <laughs> yeah, right? exactly. And, yeah. you know, uh, it's they them and, and in Persian and. When I first saw Uun, I I literally have it tattooed on my hand. Oh, amazing. You know, yeah. and it's like that is my true pronoun is like U and Un. Like right. because Iranians, you know, are um, you know, the pronouns are gender neutral. My parents are were super homophobic at the time. You right. know? There's no other polite way to say it, you know? They were homophobic. I would never lie and say they were great. They were awful, you know? Right. right. Uh, they hurt my feelings. They were rejecting they were punishing they were threatening they were hostile and i think they didn't know any better you know i give them that get out of jail free i think that they look uh it's not like they were like oh like we have a iranian group of you know anderson cooper wasn't out ellen wasn't out uh like there wasn't all this representation there wasn't you know like mayor pete and like all these things And I think they just thought like, holy cow, like our kid is like American. They're trying to be American. Like this is like they've consumed too much like MTV and like they're not going to fit in. It was a weird thing, too, because my dad's mom and my mom's mom were both just like, yeah, like God made you how God made you. And like we see that you are like an expression of that. You're like a really good person. You have a tender heart. Your parents are going to be kind of terrible about this. Wow. But like, don't think for one minute that you're not loved by God. Wow. Then, yeah, I wonder, have you looked into the history of it? Like when this homophobic tendencies happened in Iranian culture? So I've had the privilege of getting to know Human Sanchar. Sanchar? Sanchar? You know mm-hmm. him? No. He's like an amazing academic and thought okay. leader. And he's a historian. Uh, he's an independent scholar. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh He's been really kind of briefing me on, um, yeah, his name is Human Sarshar, S-A-R-S-H-A-R. Uh, his mother is the famous journalist Homa Sarshar. Yeah, of course, yeah. of course. Mm-hmm. So he's a gay academic thought leader uh, and historian on Iranian culture. And he says, and I'll just borrow um, what he shared with me. That the homophobia began when the clerics started to push forward Islam. So as you know, Khomeini was, you know, pushing this agenda of Islamic Republic 15 years prior to the revolution. Right. Uh, And that the clerics really wanted this Iranian men. Even if you look at the Shah, he's quite beautiful. Right. 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 Um, They were getting called gay. 
Ah. And there was a, a essentially a bit of homophobia going around from the Western world that was sort of seeing Iranian men kissing each other three times, hugging, as you know, Iranian men are very affectionate with each other. Very, right. They hold hands, they hug, they kiss, they cry. And that there there was a bit of Western rhetoric around the homosexuality of Iranian men. Interesting. And the clerics kind of used this as an opportunity to push forward this like Islamic belief by saying that Iranian men could prove how straight and masculine they were by having their wives wear hijab and by the men being men. And so uh, this is what he's shared with me. It feels pretty accurate because when I look at most of the Iranian, like when I look at even my dad in the late 60s, early 70s, (laughs) right, he's kind of giving Harry Styles. Right. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, fashionable, slender, like kind of just hot. You know, like in this very neutral way in this whole like movement for like the beard and like all this, like that energy. Right. Like that wasn't really like a vibe throughout the 60s and 70s until the end. During this period of time, were you uh, going back to Iran at all or what was your relationship with Iran? Um, We went back to Iran as soon as the Iran-Iraq war was over. Okay. A few, not maybe a year or two later. Um, and as soon as American, I think the, getting like, because we had to get like an Iranian passport. So right. like, that was like a whole shit show in itself, right? right. Like, you had to get a like, birth certificate and like all, you know, like very like your dad has to get this passport for you and you don't have your own passport. You're on your dad's passport. Like what? Like it was, I mean, right. I feel so bad for my dad because he had to like pretend to like vibe on this energy that like is just so not my dad like my mom had her own credit cards had her own like my dad like kept his Uh, bank account at wells fargo my mom had her own bank account at bank of america like i remember this my whole life you know she had her own money she had her own uh like um what is that called at the bank safe deposit box right right you know like I just never like my mom is just like such a matriarchal like personality like i just I remember, like, my dad having to be like, oh, like, you're all on my passport. She was just like, <laughs> what? Like, right. you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, I would make sense we're all on her passport. Right. She's the right. here, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But so my dad is like, oh, poor guy. He had to, like, he had to, like. <laughs> Step it up. <laughs> he had to, like, fake all this, like, machismo energy. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> that's, like, one thing about my dad. He is really not machismo. Like, he, that's, 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 he is not that he does not give toxic masculinity. Great. Right, right, right. So then y'all were, you went back to Iran. How did that feel? Like, did you feel Iranian when you were there or how it did it was the craziest feeling I've, it, you know what it was like? It was like, you know, when you see people put infants in water and they swim. <laughs> yeah. It was insane. Wow. Never in my life felt, first of all, I showed up at the airport at like 2 AM, uh-huh. get off this plane smells like gas the dirt smells different the air smells different and you come through the airport and on the other side of the glass was like 45 people i have never met okay right and flowers and food and it was like a freaking parade <laughs> right and it was just like such a feeling of love wow and affection and the kisses were so deep and they were just crying and I realized there was all these people that had had like pictures of me my whole life uh, growing up. And they, um, 
some of them were even wearing my clothes, Wow, you know, that my maybe grandmother had brought back. And um, I realized how much of this was missing in my life. Oh. So every time I would go back, I would film. I brought a camera recorder. I also, at the time, thought I was going to be a director. <laughs> so I would This record. is you were a teenager, like right? 15, 16, okay. yeah. 15. Wow. So it was a homecoming. Like you felt like you were going home. Yeah. Wow. Yep. And that was the first time I had been held overnight by the Bastille G. Oh, God. Um, But yeah, when I went there, it felt like, I mean, I cry. I'll never forget. I cried and cried and cried and cried when we had to leave. It was a heartbreak. I mean, I I just, I remember coming back with a box of dirt. Wow. I just loved it there. It's just a vibe. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's just a vibe. Like, I can't explain it. The bazaar, the right, the beautiful mountains, the Cabo place, the guys yeah. selling the corn dipped in salt water on the side of the road, the guy banging pots and pans outside selling noon and bread. Yeah. And I can't explain. You literally are like, oh shit, these people are the same flavor of fucking crazy as me. Right. <laughs> right. Like, we are, we are like on the same energy. Yeah. You know, right. Um, there was like some Muslim holiday, but I can't has that to, I don't know. It was the, some some has that right. Some woman that was the female one that was Hazrat like Zahra. Zahra, right? Okay, something like that. You and every house there was all these people had come back from Mecca, so they were like hudging it up and with like all these Christmas <laughs> lights. Yeah, and I remember like all these houses were like serving. Um, I think one house was Ush and the other one was Reme. And it was like literally, they were just like feeding like 500 people. Wow. And I was like, holy shit. Like, these guys really love to party. <laughs> yeah. And they're just like really a festive, you know, like when I was a kid, I, and to this day, I still really struggle with American friends. Like, right. How can you have someone over and not offer them food? Right. That's just right. like weird to me, you know? Right. How can you have someone over and not offer them chai? You know, right. how can you not extend an invitation to stay for dinner? Right. How can you not extend an invitation to stay at your home? Like, it's just funky to me. You know, and right. if someone gives you a gift or a present, it's like an over index and love and admiration back, you know? So, so you've always felt very Iranian. and you felt very connected to going back to Iran. And then you grew up, you became a venture capitalist, you became very successful in the United States and your work, you know, you've like assimilated really well. Um, But then you ended up marrying an Iranian woman. So what's the what's the story behind that? What was the I had been dating lots of different folks, not lots, but, you know, appropriate uh, types of folks. (laughs) Lots of different. I wasn't a player or anything, but I was (laughs) I was love curious, you know, okay. Um, and I had bought this house and I was, had, was going through a breakup and this person was always talking about how they didn't get me. They didn't get my family. They didn't get my temperament. I mean, a lot of people don't get my temperament, you know, uh-huh. I think I've un-American temperament, you know? Yeah. Like I'm not very American in temperament, you know, okay, that's hard. Right. And, uh, I just was like, you know, my grandmother would always come to me in my dreams, like always, you know? Oh, wow. Yeah. 
And my favorite aunt, my favorite aunt's daughter in Iran, who's someone that I just always had such affection for. She was also very pretty. Her name was Roya. I always just love this name, Roya. Right. Uh-huh. And which means a dream. Roya. It means a dream, right? Yeah. And uh, I knew my wife at the time through a mutual friend. We had been introduced to date. We didn't date because she was a scholar and academic at the time. And I was an aspiring uh, entrepreneur and I didn't understand her work. She didn't understand my work. Um, we just didn't have a lot of connectivity for each other, but we always stayed friends. We always followed each other's work and we stayed in touch in a, in a very proper way, not in an improper way, you know, Mm -hmm. but there was a moment in where I was single and she was single and I just felt like, okay, this is like, she's the one, you know? Oh, wow. And so I called her and I was like, Hey, (laughs) I think you're the one. And I would love to like, see if we can get to know each other through that lens. You know? And she was like, uh, no. And why? (laughs) And you know, why didn't you think it eight years ago? Uh-huh. And I had teased her for making a Persian dish vegetarian style. And, <laughs> you know, she had all these grievances with me teasing her. And uh-huh. we ended up just talking on the phone for hours and hours and hours, like in hours and hours for like many months after that. And I I, I had to pursue her for like another month or something like that to have a date with me. Uh-huh. Asked her to have this date with me. And she came. She had lunch with me. And she asked me 40 million questions about who am I? What am I about? What's my legacy about? What am I? What? Why am I doing what I'm doing? And it was kind of like an intense amount of interviews. Right. And uh, at the end of it, we kissed. And I was like, okay, awesome. This is great. <laughs> and I asked her to have another date with me and we did. And that date lasted like three days. Wow. We've been together ever since. Wow. Okay. So then what's your, what's your household? Like now you have a four-year-old, is that right? Mm -hmm. So what is the, how is your household like an Iranian household? What language do you speak together? What's the, we speak English. We're both in Farsi in Persian school to learn how to pick up our better skills around Persian and reading. Uh, Since when, when did y'all start that? Um, you know, what's weird. Like a year ago, I started going to like Westwood and picking up like history books about like Mossadegh and the last days of oh, the wow. Shah. And, uh, my dear friend, Ariana Huffington, um, in to- late 2019, did a podcast episode with me. She wanted to figure out like, who is Moshe? And the podcast episode ended up being completely about my two grandmothers. Okay. This podcast episode opened up like a tidal wave of. Wow pain for me because I, I was separate. I'm, I emancipated from my family when I was 16. I moved out. I didn't have a lot of relationship with them until I was like my early thirties. Right. Had a lot of pain. I had a lot of sadness. And she had done this podcast episode. It was very well produced. It was very beautiful. It made me realize that I really missed and loved that part of my culture. And so I would say in late 2019, the re- surging of my identity happened and I think Roy and I kind of you know we started going to like Shireen Nishat art exhibits and started collecting some Iranian art pieces and like Maryam 
Hosseini, who's like an amazing queer Iranian artist. And, mm-hmm. you know, I I literally got like, you know, like Roya and Neve's name tattooed on my arm in Farsi. And right. just all of a sudden this was happening. And then Masa Jimini, Gina Amini is murdered. And yeah, you are thrusted into, I don't even know if I have the words yet to describe what it is. Yeah, that's what, that's why I wanted to talk to you. I was hoping that you would. Because, okay, I also read that you would say that you were Persian until very recently. Is that right? Can you talk me through that a little bit? Like, what was going on? I live between Los Angeles and New York. There's a lot of Islamophobia here. Still. I think this industry is written, mostly Mm. run by people who are either of, like, um, uh, Christian, Catholic, and Jewish faith. Right. Right. Uh, I don't think there's like Muslim representation here that's very positive and or accepted. Wow. Okay. Uh, or and I just didn't want to be associated to the Islamic Republic of Iran. Got it. Okay. So it was just a. It was like Persian versus Islamic Republic then in a way. I mean, where is Iran? Right. Right. Where is it? That's a good point. Right? It's the fucking Islamic Republic of Iran. Right. And is that something you've just realized or is that something that you've known? I hated the Islamic Republic Iran as long as I can remember. Right. Well, that, yeah. But have you have you made the connection of like Iran parents, is not the Islamic Republic? Like you felt that? My parents told me early on to tell people we were Persian because it wasn't safe. Okay. Right. You know? They were just like, yeah. it's not safe for you. Right. You're already gay. You look gay. Right. You can't on top of it be like... <laughs> Islamic Republic <laughs> of Iran. Right. Okay. Well, so before Massa Amini happened, what was your relationship to the diaspora? Barely. Okay. So you're in, well, besides your wife. My wife, my son, my wife's best friend, Nagin. Uh, we had a couple other friends, like maybe in total, like I would say like 10 friends. Okay. Wow. Total. total. Yeah. And your industry is like very male dominated too. And like you said, like no representation. So you're kind of alone in this whole field. Yep. But okay, so now you are the did you found Iranian Diaspora Collective or it was a group of people that did it together? Like what was the you spearheaded it? My 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 dear family friend Musa Tarek is the CMO of GoFundMe. Okay. He called me and he was like, yo, you're super connected. You know media. You have a lot of influencer and celebrity friends. What if I work with compliance on the GoFundMe side and get you through sanctions a GoFundMe to raise media awareness? Wow. Okay. He knows I'm like a crazy person and I love a challenge, you know? Yeah. So I was like, well, I can't do it because I'm like building a fund. I'm like raising money. Like I, I can't do it. But like Roya could do it, you know? So Roya is technically the founder of the Iranian Diaspora Collective. Okay. Okay. There's five of us that are founding members, and we thought we're just launching a GoFundMe. That's what we thought. Okay. We're like, we're not qualified to deal with policy or advocacy because there's all these other people we don't even know, but that are like super, you know, example, you know, they're just have history in this. We're just like, we're just trying to convince Western media to like, you know, because we had just come out of like George Floyd. We had just come out of like Stop Asian Hate. We had just come out of Trans Lives Matter, right? <laughs> right, right. But we're just like, BeautyCon was a very Gen Z focused brand. I'm a Gen Z content first creative person. Right. I understood the power of social and content and community. That's my whole study anyways. 
And I was like, let me just help bring some organic headlines to this that are like not political based, that are like humanitarian oriented because these guys are just little girls, you know? Right. And from there, like the grownups will take the steering wheel and we'll just like close this GoFundMe and that'll be it. Wow. Okay. That is literally not what's happened here. No. (laughs) No. (laughs) Okay. What has happened? Tell us. (laughs) We have gotten sucked into a freaking current. Yeah. Of a big white space, a missing white space. Yes. Of diaspora Iranians, both European, Canadian, and American, that are, you know, media, technology, fashion, arts, uh, have really American or European accents and have relationships. And we have now come in to like really become like an advocacy group for the Iranian people. Wow. In their in their journey for a democratic regime change, secular <laughs> democracy. Right. And we did not know that there was all of these groups of Iranians out here campaigning for reform. Right. It, right. It wouldn't if you had said to me like, "Hey Moj, like do you think there's Iranians out there campaigning for reform?" I would have been like, "Are you crazy? Why would they do that?" That's right. nuts though. That is like an impossibility that someone would ever want to keep Ayatollahs like in like in power. Right. So as soon as we realized there was like this other energy out here to like push for kind of reform. We're like, but that's not what the Iranian people want. Interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah. So the way I see it uh, from my end is that. Iranians have been really good at assimilating into American culture and everyone's been doing really good work like on their own. Here in Austin, I'd say like our top entrepreneurs are Iranian, like our top real estate person, our top developer, our top like restaurant here owner, you know, is like Iranian, but no one's really connected. And I feel like something you guys have done is bring all these people out to the forefront and get everybody connected. Like, what, what is your relationship right now with the Iranian diaspora? Like, I mean, I barely talk to anyone who's not Iranian right now. <laughs> like, okay, I yeah. barely, like, I talk to my business partners on my fund. I talk to my business partners on my nonprofit, which is called Beauty United, brings forward diversity and inclusion into the beauty and wellness industry. Because right. uh, that's where, before this, I thought I could make a difference. I talk to my, you know, I have some non-Iranian, I have a lot of non, I have mostly non-Iranian friends, but... They're mostly not even like lately either people don't like a they talk to me like someone just died. B, they don't invite me to shit because they're like, I'm just m- probably a full on downer right now. Right. But, like, yeah, I'm not super social right now with non-Iranians, not because I don't want to be, but because wow. I feel like they're kind of like, ooh, like, you know, they're treating me like literally I feel like they treat me like someone has just died in my life, <laughs> you know? And right. so the Iranians in my life and the diaspora, I don't know. That's all I do all day, every day. This, this is like my new friend group, wow. which is like the weirdest thing ever. Right. Because um, like I, it's a lot of, it's like Iranians are a handful, as you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But another thing that I've kind of been thinking about, and I want to hear your thoughts on this, is a lot of times like the voices of us outside of the country were discounted because it was like, well, you guys aren't here. You haven't like been dealing with it. But if you count all of us, like the voices against the Islamic Republic are so loud, you know, there's so many of us. That's a, it's controversial to think of it that way because there's, you know, a real cultural 
through line of like the diaspora's voice doesn't matter, which I personally don't know that I agree with. I think that is, I personally think that's reform agenda. Right. So I've gone from like a non-conspiracy theory person who's like pretty like just trusting of humans to like, I don't really know what the storyline's about. But interesting. Uh-huh. I really do think that that's a reformist agenda to discount the diaspora. Okay. Okay. That's that's like the new thing that I'm kind of starting to figure out as well. Like the new feeling I that I'm starting to have. I don't care who supports regime change. I don't care who. Right. I just support the Iranian people. In the, until they say to us, we don't want regime change, we want reform, I support regime change. Right. That is what they're saying. They're dying. They're right. dying. They're killing. They are literally giving their life to prove how much they want regime change. It is like our moral obligation. It is our cultural obligation. We are. I don't have a single family member buried on, in this earth here in America. Not one. Not one person in my life wow. that wow. I know of that is passed in my family that is buried here. We wow. will be the first people buried in U.S. soil. Right. That's not what my family wants. Right. My family wants to be like every other family with their family. Right. You know, you want to be able to go to the school. You think about all the comforts that you have. Oh, I went to this school. I went to that high school. I used to shop here. Oh, I used to go to this country club. I used to go to that beach. Like for a whole generation to be stripped of their identity and memories. Memory is really important. Like think about when people wake up from a coma and they're like, I can't remember anything. How traumatic that is. Right. It's like you've ripped apart people's mental health. Completely, completely. That's a great you way know? to put it. Yeah. How does your how does your family feel about what you're doing right now? It's brought us really close together. Really close. I talked to them about it before I started doing it to make sure they understood because they were scheduled to go to Iran in November. Oh wow. Look, they still have a lot of family there. Right. Right? And and so they go back and forth. And I was like, you will not be able to go back anymore. Right. And and this this movement moved you in a way that like 2009 did not. Is that right? Like is this the first time that it's really 2009 moved me. I watched it. <clears throat> maybe I put it on my Instagram. Like maybe it was one of my first few Instagram pictures, you know? Yeah. There wasn't, Instagram wasn't a community at that point. It was a gallery. Right. It was Twitter. Twitter was the last time. And I didn't really, I was never like a hardcore Twitter person. Um, I didn't understand it. I didn't have any power. I didn't have any influence. I was not in a position of resources. I didn't have a network. I didn't have a name. You know, I was nobody, you know? Right. So it didn't matter what I thought, you know? Right. Now... I can make headlines. Now I have a platform. Now I know a lot of people that have much bigger platforms than me, you know? Um, right. So like, how could I not? Is that the, so that's changed for you, but what else do you think changed? Cause I think that this has been massively bigger than last time. Like, what do you think has been different about this time? The kids of Iran, man. Yeah. Look at them. Look at how yeah. dope they are. Look at Sherpa. <laughs> Look at, Look at Massa. Look at Yelda. Look at Nika. Look at look at these kids. Yeah. Like 
Yelda really, that one shredded me on a level that was like, I mean, I looked at her with her septum piercing and tattoos and like, yeah. that girl could have worked for me at one of my companies. She's someone that I would see in the streets and probably take pictures of and say, oh, this is like a style guide and style. Impl-. Like, she just was like, I just don't, I just, I didn't know people like Sherman existed. Like when I right. heard Baroye, yeah, I cannot listen to that song and not cry. Right. Um, and so their artistry moved me, their conviction, their creativeness, their videos, the content, the articles, like, it's like, I felt like these guys are just better than me. They're just better than me. Like, that's what I feel. Like, I feel like I'm like a domesticated, watered down version of Iranian. And I feel like they are the real thing. I feel like I'm Shamu, like in the zoo, like all domesticated and Westernized. And I feel like they're like, these beautiful like beautiful examples of like iranians in the wild you know like all that energy all that expression all that conviction all that passion like everything that people judge us for oh our passion our tenacity we're too aggressive we're too wanting we're too ambitious we're too you know demanding our tone you know the way that we fight you know we're like the way that we love it's like i look at those kids and i'm like oh my god that's like everything about us that's good. Right. right. And we're just unabashed and expressed about it. And we are just like over here, like Americanized, Americanized, like pastor. We're like pasteurized. Wow. <laughs> you know? Wow. Yeah. And I'm in like constantly trying to renegotiate my vibe, my energy. I always talk to my therapist about this because she's, um, she has um, Middle Eastern Arab descent, right? Uh-huh. Uh, identity. Wow, um, okay. And so much of what we talk about and process is like the bias that people have towards Mina behavior and Mina energy, you know? And wow. I'm very Mina. Like, I'm a very Mina person. I'm like, I'm like freaking, like, I'm, I'm introverted in energy. Like, I need a lot of quiet time, alone time. But like, if I'm going to talk to you, I'm giving you myself you know right right but that's like not a characteristic that's like unique to me right like at all and if you've ever seen an iranian communicate that is like a whole thing <laughs> that is like a whole ass thing you know right right like watch them go crazy in iran over like a parking spot or someone bruised an apple in the bazaar and they didn't pay for it you know right it's like in America, they would call that some other thing. But like in Iran, <laughs> there's just like, that's just, that's just how they communicate. That's really cool. I I haven't heard of it explained like that before. That's, and I feel like it's been suppressed for a really long time and it's just coming out. So I think well, yeah. you're totally right. And so when I look at these videos and they're just yeah. like, full on like mad, bad dictator, like you're just yeah. like, oh, sh-. like you're, you're just <laughs> yeah. like, you're just like going for this revolution you are like Sharifa University. Like I look at those kids and I was like, I'm like, am I seeing this correctly right now? Like I literally had to be like, like we couldn't even get in the streets like that for Roe versus Wade. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah, totally. We couldn't get in the streets of that until George Floyd was murdered on live, you know, basically like broadcast, you know, like worldwide COVID TV. Like we had, Sean King had been showing that shit for years. We weren't doing anything about it, you know? Right. Totally. These guys went bananas. And I just felt like 
Um, um, 40 million feelings, 40 million feelings. <laughs> Sad, grief, homesick, a sense of duty, shame, lots of shame. Where was I? Why didn't I know about White Wednesday? Why didn't I know about Nasreen Sutudeh? Why did I not know about Shireen Abadi? Why did I not know about Hussein? Why was I... Why was I not advocating for them before? Because they had been fighting this fight for years, you know? Why didn't I know about the massacre in 2019? Why did I not know that the Islamic Republic leads on mass executions on a per capita basis? Why did I not know about the human rights violations? Why did I not know that women in Iran were the most brilliant thought leaders and academics and lawyers fighting for human rights, you know? I've looked up to all of these other people, um, but I had had missed them. And so the past three months have been, oh man, it's just been the most wild, wild experience. I don't know that I have the distance to be able to fully process it yet. Ah, I love that. That was amazing. Thank you. Well, can you tell me uh, or tell everybody how to find Iranian Diaspora Collective and, and what you sure. guys are doing right now, how we can be involved? Sure. We are, um, we are building our community. You can find me at Moj, M-O-J on Instagram. You can find the Iranian Diaspora Collective just spelled out exactly as I mentioned on Instagram. We have the landing page. We have links to great nonprofits to contribute to, petitions to sign. Um, you can donate to our GoFundMe because we're continuing our media efforts. We're continuing our PR efforts. We're working on a connectivity program to help bring some VPNs and Starlinks to the Iranian people. We're supporting some policies that are out in the market. And can um, I ask this, the Iranian Diaspora Collective have to just be Iranians or is it who all is part of the di Iranian Diaspora Collective? Good question. It should be anybody and everybody that values human rights, women's rights, and anybody that aspires and supports human beings fighting and giving their lives for a free, secular, democratic representation and country. Um, and I will just also say this. The Iran, Iran is not the access of evil. It is actually the access of opportunity to unlock a huge amount of opportunity and abundance in the Middle East, including a stable and free, uh, not free, but a safe Israel, a safe Middle East. Uh, it, it, you know, defund the police. Yeah. Let's defund the police. Let's defund the Islamic Republic and defund Hezbollah, defund war, right, war crimes in Syria. Let's defund, um, drone, uh, support and military support to Russia. So yes, I believe in anyone who believes in defunding the police, defunding police brutality, defunding abuses, sexual gender-based sexual crimes to women and predominantly beautiful little girls. For anyone that supports those things that considers themselves a feminist, I'm especially calling on all white feminists, non-women of color, to put your money where your mouth is. Don't just make the Planned Parenthood. Don't just go to these organizations that are cute luncheons and Instagrams. Show up. Show up for something you don't understand. Show up because I guarantee people are going to remember who was on the right side of history right now Beautiful. and there's millions of us in the diaspora millions and some of us are even half iranian yep and we're watching you 
Beautiful. I <laughs> love it. So like you want to learn, we created an amazing document that no one can say we don't know how to be involved. It's called How to Talk About Iran. It's a, I think at this point, 25 page document. It's an open source document. It's a Google Doc. Over 50,000 people have downloaded it. It tells you the history, the how, the stats, articles to follow, uh, journalists to follow, Instagram accounts to follow. We have created it for Western audiences to learn about literally how to talk about Iran. And so we have made it easy for you to care about this. Mm -hmm. um, and also support organizations like Vital Voices that helped push the Islamic Republic off the Women's Commission yesterday in the UN. Ooh. And so we are your friendly diaspora partners to help you onboard to a women's rights, human rights issue. Um, if you would only just take a few minutes to care about us. And so we hope you will. I love it. And we'll have the links to all of those in the show notes. And the easiest thing to do is to find Moj on Instagram because it's yeah. just M-O-J. <laughs> and uh, thank you so much. I, I'm a lot clearer on a lot of things after this conversation. So I really appreciate the way you worded things, the way you think about things and your unique perspective on on all of this. Thank you for everything you do. Thanks for reaching out. Um, and I hope to see you soon. Yeah. Is there anything that we didn't talk about that you want to add in there or did we cover it all? We have a number of amazing people who would make amazing guests for your show okay. that I would love to recommend to you. I, I highly recommend you. Uh, there's a number of, of high profile people in the diaspora, but there's also a number of amazing people like uh, the Bruman sisters and people like Gisu from the Atlantic Council who've just been doing the hard work of this stuff. Yes, um, I've had the pleasure of getting to know over the past four months, and I just always want to give props to where props are due. There's yeah. some amazing people who've been doing the work thanklessly, unnoticed, uh, that deserve the shine. And so we have Iranian Diaspora Collective has a lot of shine right now. And whenever someone asks, what can I do? I always say, you know, like we went to Chris Como and we they said, what can we do? And we said, you could have, you know, all these other folks that you're he's now having on the show. So like we great. hope to push through and bring through our crew. Um, who we think also make great guests um, and yeah. are great representation of the diaspora in Iran. And so uh, we're here to help you meet any of these people we can within our network. I would love that. I would love to do that. Thank you so okay. much. And Perfect. yeah, send me over a list. Okay, uh, you got it. Zan Zendigi Azadi, Women, Life, Freedom. Hope you enjoyed that interview. I'm your host, Leila Shams of Learn Persian with Chayan Conversation. You can find out more about me and how to learn the Persian language and more about Iranian culture on our website at chayanconversation.com with chai spelled C-H-A-I. This podcast was edited by Chadwick Wood and our theme music is written and composed by Bobak Rajabi. Until next time, Khuda Hafiz. <laughs>